So as kids, we were always taught about the racial disadvantages um, races have throughout um, this nation of America. We were taught that, of course, you know, uh, that uh, the Hispanic man and that the black man, you know, usually make a less around the white man and the white man has this accumulated wealth throughout time that the black man and the Hispanic man doesn't have. Uh, and, and so, but w people never really explain growing up, like, why is that so? Like, you know, because we see people like Jay-Z, we see people like Oprah, we see people like Diddy, um, these, you know, multi-millionaire and even, you know, in Oprah's case, billionaire um, uh, entrepreneurs who, you know, made it in this America and, you know, they, they became rich and, and now they have, like, a, a profuse amount of money. So the argument goes, uh, well, not an argument, but the, the question is usually posed, why are black people still broke? We're living in a society that we're able to get ahead um, even if it's using the model minority, um, clause that we, you know, talked about in previous episodes, people can still get ahead. Black people, if they wanted to, they could still become rich. I mean, if, you know, Meek Mill can become rich by, off of rapping, then who, who says, who says that, you know, black people can't do whatever we want to, you know, we got a black president. Now, well, we had a black president. <laughs> now we have a Cheeto president, but we had a black president. We have black congressmen. We have, you know, black engineers. We have black entrepreneurs. So why are black people still broke? And it's not a very simple question. But so it requires a very complex answer. Um, why are black people still broke is because at the end of the day, um, we have zero wealth, even though a lot of uh, rich people, uh, rich black people have accumulated a lot in income. Basically, just because we have, um, you know, uh, millionaire football players, uh, millionaire entertainers, millionaire businessmen uh, uh, in our race, our, we our, our wealth as a race has been decreasing. You know, and it's crazy when you think about it. It's like, you know, we haven't, we're getting, black people are getting richer and richer in the aspect of individualism, as in, you know, we're starting to get, you know, people like Jay-Z's, um, who, you know, could basically just, you know, sell his album to Sprint, like, it's nothing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these guys have buku money, but in, in even though we're st still seeing a lot of black entrepreneurs make it to that point, our wealth is drastically decreasing. And by 2053, it's projected by, you know, the Institute for Poly Studies, a progressive think tank, that black wealth and Hispanic wealth is going to be close to zero, and if not zero. Um, but before we get into, like, wealth and income and the inequality of wealth, you know, to see the inequality of income... Uh, I just wanted to answer one question because I know, you know, a lot of, uh, and, and it's not even a lot of you guys, but in the back of your mind, like what I was even taught as a black kid is that, you know, black people have, you know, terrible spending habits and it, it, and no, that's not the case. You know, black people do not have terrible spending habits and, uh, it, it's never, and that's not why we're still broke as a race. And that's, that's not why we still don't have like the wealthy quality of, you know, white privileged people. Um, 
it the the you know the reason but it, it it and it is true that you know you know black people um you know just as a masses we were taught to you know seek after uh westernized things in other words we we sought off of name brands we sought off of uh, designer things this was taught to us you know even you know white people you know were specifically taught how to market to the black race and they marketed to the black race based off of name brands because you know things like polo and ralph lauren makes you know us feel like hey we're you know we're the man in culture and and, and even though it doesn't mean anything you know what what type of shirt you wear or what brand is it from if it's you know champion uh ralph lauren uh obey um supreme it doesn't matter um, but it's just the fact that white people around like the 1950s, they would advertise these high selling products to black people. And then they would tell the black people that, you know, this is what we wear on the day to day. So if you want to be a part of this lifestyle, if you want to be a, a part of this echelon or this group of people, the elites, you have to wear this. And of course, being an impoverished black person who doesn't even have the right to vote yet, you know, you know, of course you want to fit in. So, of course, you know, we 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 bought these Calvin Kleins, these Gucci's. We we bought these things, and even if it would just be like a Gucci belt and like the whole suit would be like, you know, uh, you know, from men's warehouse. Like it it is just the fact that, you know, we have something of designer so we are automatically of you know upper echelon and so that's what that was all about but you know white people spend their money on the same things like you know and, and so that's what I, I don't want people to have that misconception that you know black people are still broke as a race because we have you know terrible spending habits like no you know white people you know wear supreme too white people wear you know champions too white people wear jordans too like so it's like you know it you know for you to say that you know black people have bad spending habits black people and white people literally spend their money on the same things it's just at the end of the day white people accumulated more wealth so them they them spending two hundred dollars on a pair of jordans you know doesn't hurt their pockets Meanwhile, for a black person, it might, you know, even if that individual income is, let's say, middle class tier, like, uh, and that's like around like, you know, 90K to 100,000 a year, like, right. So let, let's say if he's like upper middle class tier, it could still affect his pocket just because strictly he doesn't have the wealth to support it, even though he has the individual you know, income, but we're going to get on to uh, get all into that. But before, before we get like deeply into it, I just wanted to tell you guys what's the main difference between wealth and individual income, because a lot of people get this, you know, concept kind of mixed up a little bit, but you know, income is the flow of money obtained from, you know, factors of production. On the other hand, wealth is a market price of a stock of asset possessed by an individual or household. Basically, income is the the flow of money you make throughout a period of time. So if somebody asks you your annual income, you'll say, 
60000 if you make 60000 a year. Um, if somebody asks for, you know, your, your weekly income, you know, or your daily income, which you'll make, uh, you'll tell them based off of that. But your income is basically how much money you make. While your wealth is the market price of a stock assets, asset possessed by an individual, an individual. Uh, conversely, wealth is accumulated over time. Um, in, in other words, I know you ever heard of the saying, you know, it takes time to make money. Wealth takes time uh, because wealth is your stock assets. And, and what that is basically is that's things such as property, um, houses, um, uh, other assets like boats, um, companies, businesses that encompasses wealth. Um uh, income is earned and received in this absolute, meaning that at the end of the day, if you work a job, you're going to get paid unless you're a federal employee. And, you know, Donald Trump wants to shut the uh, government down <laughs> because if he, he wants to build a stupid wall. But <laughs> that was a side note. But at the end of the day, your income is guaranteed. Uh, that's your individual income. That's what you individually make from the jobs that you have. But the wealth that you have is all dependent on your stock of assets that's around you. Um, meaning that if even though you have a lot of money, if you live, in, let's say you'll make around two hundred thousand dollars a year I, I mean fiscally if you if you're doing this this is a, this is very fiscally irresponsible and i need you to stop but <laughs> if you're making around like a hundred thousand dollars a year and you're staying in, the, in an apartment say for instance um even though you're, you're you're ranking up you know more money than the average citizen you also have to understand that your wealth isn't growing because you're staying in an apartment because you don't have any property value and you don't have any money to make from that and so this is when we start saying the difference between uh, having, you know, profuse amount of income and having a profuse amount of wealth. And this is when you start learning that how we gauge income equality is really based off of wealth equality. Um, so how do we get to this point? You know, how do we get to this point to where we as a race are, we as as a minority, because, you know, Hispanic and um, Asian uh, demographics are affected by it too. Um, us as a minority, how did we get to this point? Um, yes, it's true. You know, African chattel slavery and was a, a huge, a very, very huge asset to why um, we're in this situation that we're in. Well, I mean, it's common sense. Like, you know, because everybody knows like we talked about like numerous of times on this episode you know the reconstruction period for slavery was absolutely shit so after that you know you just had basically you know african americans winging it um but i don't really want to focus on slavery for this episode because you know logically when we're talking about from an economic basis the United States didn't really have a middle class until the early 1900s. So if we're really talking about on an economic level of why of there's wealth uh, disparity between these groups of demographics or why there's wealth inequality, we literally have to go to the start of the middle class. And we really have to observe from there um, what things post-slavery 
help black people from getting things such as houses um uh or social economic opportunities because it was like there was like people we just have to be adult enough to you know ex- you know admit this but guys there was racist policies post-slavery from the united states and one of the first ones was the denial of social security to farm farm workers and domestic workers around like in 1935 uh uh the passage of the social security act they excluded a third of like like a third of all american workers and most of the bulk of these workers were african americans in 1935 and 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 even though you know so this left us w- without you know things such as like social security and you know uh socialized programs were like that were taken effect into them um and even though like white farm farm workers were in uh farm workers and domestic workers were also excluded like i said african american and other minorities were m- m- like at the bulk of the impact of this so the 1935 Social Security Act, remember that? And this is one of the, the biggest things that kind of uh, put us off, but we talked about it before in uh, our episodes before, but um, basically redlining and red districting, red districting um, which is basically federally sanctioned housing discrimination. You know, between the years 1934 and 1968, the Federal Housing Administration, or the FHA, along with other public and private sectors um, of the Federal Homeowners Loan Corporation, intensely shut out households to people of color. And this was from 1934 to 1968. These discriminatory practices, you know, left about like 500 million in wealth from black people. This so this this move alone took this move alone took around like 500 million in wealth from black people. And this is all calculated up to the year 2017 by the way. And how this is calculated is basically using all the wealth that white people garnished from that period of 1934 to all the way to 2017. So yeah, this really and then this also led for African Americans to pay an average of twenty thousand more for their homes and their prices than the prices paid for by white families. So this housing discrimination that didn't even allow this did this socialized housing program that was supposed to be you know basically set equity for all ended up costing black people more than $500 million. And throughout that time period, black people would pay more on an average of $20,000 more for their homes than their white counterparts. So this, and this, this, when this has, and this really caused black people to have to, instead of increase our racist GDP or increase our racist wealth, this caused black people to have to go to apartments and projects and other areas like that. So remember, this is 1934 is post-slavery. This is like, you know, during the Great Depression when everybody was supposed to be getting a little bit of something. Of course, black people didn't. And uh, another thing was denial of economic opportunities 
of service members of Curler, specifically the GI Bill of 1994 that was supposed to be credited to provide millions of returning World War II veterans with the opportunity to access wealth-building opportunities, such as low-cost home mortgages, low-interest business loans, and tuition assistance. So basically, if you're a veteran, you know, from World War II, which is rightfully so, right? You, you fought, you just fought in one of the biggest wars to save the world, not just the United States. But, you know, so you get this GI Bill um, in 1994 that's going to hey, say, hey, dog, we'll help you with your tuition if you want to get through school. We'll help you buy a house. Um, we'll help you uh, access, you know, business opportunities, uh, business building opportunities, like, because you deserve this. But of course, this same uh, bill was not given to the bulk of African Americans. For example, three years into the administration of law, a survey of 13 Mississippi cities found that African American service members received just two Two of the 3,229 loans made by the Department of Veteran Affairs to support home ownership and business farming. Let me go over that again. A survey of 13 Mississippi cities. This is just 13 Mississippi cities. This isn't not even the whole state of Mississippi. It's a very small state, mind you, but it's like compared to the whole freaking United States, only 13 Mississippi cities found that African-American service members received just two loans out of 320, 300, no, 3,229 loans made by the Department of Veterans, Veterans Affairs, made by the VA office. So white people were guaranteed let's say, in these 13 Mississippi cities, 3,231 3, uh, loans, let's say, and black people only got two of them. I'm going to just leave that there. Because, I mean, you know, this is when you have to really start seeing when our wealth was, the wealth gap started coming. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why when reparations... We're going to get to that. We're, we're going to get to that. And then uh, one of the most important things, uh, the punishment of our most valuable for trying to get ahead. Um, and these are current policies that still put in place, even with our social welfare programs, you know, in order to qualify for these social welfare programs, you know, we have to be, you know, extremely poor. We have to be piss poo poor. Like, it's like, you know, let's say if we're just trying to get ahead. If, you know, I have a $1,000 or $2,000 saved up in my uh, bank account for my child's education, for my child's college education, that can disqualify me from receiving, you know, social welfare benefits. And that's, that shouldn't be the case. Like, you know, or, or let's say, and, and then back in the day for black women, all, 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 all black women had to do was you know, be married, you know, if they were married, or if they were, you know, if they had a car, then they was like, okay, you know, why are you getting the social assistance? It's not as drastic as it is today, but it's still very strict. And this is another reason to why, you know, welfare has become a clutch. Welfare hasn't become a clutch because, you know, people on welfare are lazy, and they don't want to do anything, and they just want taxpayers to pay for everything. 
unbeknownst to the right, the m real reason why uh, welfare is a crush to people is because, you know, welfare, to qualify for it, you have to stay poor. So it's like, you know, if, you know, I'm saving up, if I get like $3,000 for my child's savings to for their college education, you know, then I don't have you know, this public assistance anymore. So I'm not receiving this public assistance anymore, but, you know, even uh, even though virtually on paper I'm, I have all this money, realistically, I know this money is for my child's future. So I'm going to still be stuck in the same boat just because I have more money attached to my bank account. So this, is, this has been another reason why black people, specifically in the housing district, not really in SNAP because we don't lead in that, but, uh, but specifically in uh, uh, federal and local housing, you know, this has been the bulk of the reason of why we couldn't get ahead on social welfare programs because they're stripped from us just from forgetting a fucking job. So it's like... Again, that that's an, another reason why I really wanted to go deep into it. And uh, another reason, of course, is our upside-down U.S. tax code that overwhelmingly fa favors wealthy people. Like, in wealthy people, from what I just told you, uh, <laughs> are mostly white. <laughs> so our, our, our tax code is by leaps and bounds the single largest tool the federal government uses to provide families with the support that they need to boost economic outcomes and build lifelong wealth. To achieve these goals, the federal government spent over 600, $677 billion through the tax code in 2016 to help families purchase a home, go to college, save, and invest for the future. Together, this amount surpasses the budget of all federal agencies combined, save uh, for the Department of, De uh, well, except for the Department of Defense. Uh, while the government's goal of helping families should build wealth is understandable, the problem is how the tax code is distributed. Uh, Despite the IRS not collecting tax uh, t on tax filers' rates, in 2014, uh, Policy Link published a study that provided the first time an approximation of which racial groups benefited the most from the tax expenditures. In it, researchers found that white, ho white households represented the majority of income earners in each income quintile, including the top three quintiles. It is in these three income equalities where a lion's share of available tax breaks were claimed, including exclusions, itemized re uh, deductions, and investment credits. So the bulk of this tax code, or the bulk of these benefits, of basically these benefits included uh, tax exclusion, which is, you know, not, you know, having to pay taxes, itemized deductions, and investment credits, uh, basically uh, fundamental tools that can go towards, you know, creating any type of business these all went to white people and so this tax code that has made that 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 that, that builds off the back of our estate our, our properties our real estate this same tax code benefits the wealthy the people who are already wealthy and and, and don't even and we not even going to talk about you know, how, you know, most of our black men, you know, and black women being locked up and incarcerated for nonviolent crimes affected our wealth as a state, too.
you know. That's why when when people like Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, and people like Bernie Sanders, they're saying, "Hey, man, the people at the top need to pay their fair fair share." Like they know who the people at the top are. Like Elizabeth Warren knows. Like when she says the people at the tippy top, she said, "Hey, we need to get these white motherfuckers that are like that look like me, but like have more money than all of us." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta get them to pay their fair share, and and so and that's the main thing what people have to understand when we're having this wealth conversation, uh, is that you know. There's not. There's not a a, a specific reason or a spe- specific spending habits that black people do that cause us to be poor all the time. That's not the case. And, you know, that's been taught to us and implanted by the white, by the right, you know, for, you know, ages of, the, of you know, this country existing, period. Even by, you know, established Democrats, you know, black people are the inferior race. They don't understand. So they have to be explained. They have to be nurtured. Things have to be given to them. And that's when I'm talking about this argument of reparations. You know, when people bring up reparations, this has been a long, like, a really a long debate. Um, a, a debate of reparations of slavery really started, uh, let me get a uh, correct year for you. Yeah, Thaddeus Stevens, wow, I didn't even know that. One of the founding fathers of the Constitution. Uh, Thaddeus Stevens actually sponsored a bill for the redistribution of African Americans, but I mean, of course, it, it wasn't passed. And then you had, you know, you know, the the famous Father Divine, you know, uh, you know, prophesized his idea for reparations. Um, and then you, when you had, um, after World War Two, when you had America give, you know, certain Japanese families around twenty thousand dollars, then the proposal for reparations came back again. But there's been more reparations than that. Like, uh, after Father Divine uh, made his uh, peace stamp in uh, 1951, they have been, you know, m- a plethora of cases of why black people uh, deserve, are, are really, are entitled to reparations. Um, and, and there's a lot of great arguments for it. Um, definitely, even if you go back to, uh, slavery, reparations for slavery, I think they actually added it up, and, like, from, like, the period of when slavery, uh, started to when it ended, and I think it was, like, 97 million dollars, like, it was crazy, but, like, I would love that, I would love that, I I would love for the black race to get 90 million dollars, but when it comes to reparations that are actually viable, and that can actually that that actually help the black people even more help black people even more. I said the black people like I'm not black like yeah the black people, <laughs> but that help black people even more. It it's not just giving us a check, and 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 that's what I want a lot of people to understand. Like just handing off checks, you know, it, it it's cool and it's a great sentiment, but it wouldn't be the most adequate or the efficient form of reparations. Because again, like I said, individual income is not why we're in this hole. It's not why, you know, our wealth is at zero, you know. The reason why our wealth is at zero is because, you know, we don't have property value. You know, we don't have, you know, businesses, 
you know, up and booming because the we, we can't qualify for grants because we're not already at the tippy top of that tax code. So the best reparations in my mind, you know, again, would not be to be just this physical check of, you know, 20 pajillion trillion dollars. You know, I'll, it, the best check would be business grants to African-American and Hispanic businesses. Uh, it would be, you know, uh, tax exclusions for these people uh, so they can expound and then focus on their wealth. Uh, business credits for these people. You know, home opportu- home-owning opportunities for these races and these demographics of people. This is what's going to not only help these races as a collective race, uh, Hispanic race, uh, um, Asian race, and the black race. This is not going to only help us as, as races, but this is going to help America because then our GDP is going to skyrocket. But again, that's well, that that would be adequate form of repar- uh, reparations for me. You know, not just giving a check, you know, a pajillion dollars and saying, okay, here you go. Like, no, that that that's not why our, our, our wealth is so low. You know, our wealth is so low is because, you know, you know, post-slavery, there have been, you know, uh, practices, you know, discriminative practices of on the hands of a government to keep black people and to keep minority races um, basically oppressed. Um, and before before I want to say my last thing on reparations... Oh yeah, before I want to say my last thing on, on reparations, there's a there's a lot of things when, when we're talking about the wealth uh, of America and we're talking about um, the wealth of uh, individual collective races. Um, a lot of people feel like, you know, Asians uh, don't uh, deal with this wealth disparity when they do. Um, it's just uh, with Asian Americans, uh, they're... Um, it's like the tippy top of Asian America... Is, is super rich, but these are like the white guys, you know, you know, these are not like the Cambodians, the, uh, you know, people from, you know, uh, northern Vietnam, these aren't like, you know, these are the cream of the crop who basically had, uh, lineage to the 1965 immigration bill that Lyndon B. Johnson passed saying that, hey, if you want to be a part of this nation, you got to be the cream of the crop, you got to be the smartest Asian, uh, the the hardest working Asian and the brightest Asian. So, um, these are you know for um, Asian American households, um, yeah. So and 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 for to to um explain myself, uh, we have this statistic right here. Um, white households own more than twice the wealth um held than held by their Asian American peers. Um so yeah, like you know what what people think is just because they have some really, really, really uh they have like again and it goes back to what was said earlier. Just because you have a lot of individual Asian Americans making a plethora or profuse amount of money 
that doesn't go the same thing that doesn't have anything to say with the racist um collective wealth um which is really seen at the bottom uh like damn near in poverty levels uh when speaking of the asian american community but yeah i just wanted to uh put that statistic out here like because all minorities are suffering from this all minorities are suffering from this super racial divide or racial wealth divide we have in this country but you know i guess i just really wanted to end off by saying this one thing uh it's great that we have this topic of reparations um because um just me as like a, a theorizer me um i i come open to all you know well not all but i come open to a lot of good faith good good faith conversations about reparations but you know if we're talking about reparations just so you can get my vote stop it like you know what I'm saying? Like, don't talk about my reparations. I don't talk about. Uh, don't say. Don't basically bait me, bro. Don't bait. You know, and, and this goes to politicians who's saying this rhetoric. You know, not you know just everyday people talking about this, but for politicians, man, like, don't try to sink in or bait the black race by saying, "Hey, I'm a promise reparations." Like, like no, like it's like. If you really feel like in your heart we should really, you know, start focusing on this racial divide like under Trump, uh, or you really feel like, you know, we, we need to start focusing on this racial divide because in 2053, when uh, Hispanic Americans and African Americans are the majority of the population and, you know, white Americans are now the minority, uh, but then white Americans still have all the wealth we're going to be left in some very trying times because of that. Um, so at at this moment, when, it, when we're talking about 2019, 2020, if you're just set on doing away with this racial divide before 2053, before the minorities finally become the majority, then, then, then I love you. Hats off to you. And thank you for, you know, even presenting this as an idea. But don't, you know, just say, okay, Black people should get reparations and then use it as a bait tactic for bait tactic for people to vote for you. Like, no, it's absolutely bullshit and you shouldn't do it. But um I hope you guys learned a lot from this. Uh I, I hope you learned that, you know, there's a difference between wealth and income and to really see income equality, we have to understand wealth inequality as well. Um the history of our dis discriminative uh pa practices that we had in the United States post Civil War, um such as not you know allowing African American veterans to be a a part of the nineteen fifty four, um, well not be completely inclusive in the nineteen forty four GI Bill, um same thing with uh, keeping us at bottom in order for us to get social uh or uh, social uh welfare programs. And, of course, uh, reparations shouldn't just be about, you know, a big-ass check that we're handing off. It should be about uh, actual, you know, focusing on the actual wealth of African Americans and, you know, and, and Hispanic Americans as well. And, you know, building off of that and, you know, 
giving these people opportunities to flourish in wealth um, and not necessarily individual income. Um, and, and most importantly, no, black people are not broke and black people are not, you know, in poverty because we spend, uh, we want to live like rappers. Like, no, you know, not every black person buys a chain from the mall. Not every black person rocks grills. And even if a black person does do that, again, it's an, the reason why our wealth and our, our race is so low in, in wealth equality and don't have like the have wealth equity matched with our uh white uh counterparts it's because of the fact of their of these policies that have been implemented throughout history it has nothing to do with the fact that you know uh your cousin uh fucking aro you know wearing fucking chain with all his weed money like no hey like he hey let Aro get him let let him get him like you know <laughs> that's not why we're broke as a people, um and it has and it has more to do with historical racial policies that divided the wealth over time, oh, uh, but uh, again I hope you guys learned a lot today um I know this is a very uh I I was just uh, I I it's funny because I've been wanting to do this episode for a while now. And, like, I didn't realize how much information was in this thing until I started doing it. I was like, oh, we were just going to do a simple episode, something very digestible today. But I, I know everybody who watches me there or watches this podcast, you know, you guys are hella smart. You know, just hearing some of your feedback, uh, some of your, um, you know, views and opinions and how you feel about the podcast so bad. So, far, yeah, you guys are hella smart, though. Um, so I honor you guys for being the best fans ever somebody can have, man. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. And, and talk about that, man. Our first year anniversary is coming up, man. This is so great. Like, I didn't even see this coming. Like, man, like, I'm not really crying, by the way. I'm just doing that stupid shit. But yeah, it's awesome that this, uh, our first, uh, year is about to come up in April. Um, I remember starting this podcast, being so elated to do it, uh, and I'm just so glad, I, I, and I just appreciate everybody who's been a pro- part of the process with me, uh, even if they're not here anymore, all the stuff that you guys give into this podcast has just made me a better person, personally, um, because if anybody knows me personally, you you guys know I'm not like a radio personality or anything. I'm just literally a progressive organizer, a, 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 a black intelligent kid trying to get the news out and trying to get his opinion out. And so I appreciate you get I appreciate again, I appreciate you guys so much for letting me get my opinion out and I really want to start hearing some more of y'all. So keep giving me feedback, uh keep giving me suggestions, keep sending in the questions. Uh, but for this episode, we are out. Remember to follow E to the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And again, if you have any questions or suggestions, hit us up. And if you want to be on the episode one day in this future days and these re- the shit tomorrow, if you want to be on the episode, <laughs> just let me know on social media. And thank you guys so much. And we is out.